Welcome to another gospel message from St. Luke's Anglican Church, Clovelly. Good morning. For 2,000 years uh, on Easter Sunday, Christians have said uh, from the front, he's, uh, Christ is risen and people would respond, he's risen indeed. So can we just go old school for a little bit, for a moment? Uh, Christ is risen. Well done. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this precious, wonderful, uh, amazing, challenging news. And we pray that for some of us, what seems so long ago, that you would make real to us today. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you remember the last time that you woke up from a bad dream? And you kind of wake up with a start and your heart is just thumping and it's 3am and it's dark and you're just kind of lost in your own world but kind of slowly, sometimes I have to kind of get up and walk out to the lounge room, slowly the kind of this feeling just kind of washes over you that, you know what, it's okay. It's not real. Um, it's okay. Maybe you've had the opposite dream. You wake up in the morning fine, and then suddenly cold, hard reality hits you. I really did send that SMS to my boss. He really was elected. Mum really is gone. Well, you know, on, uh, on day one of the whole ball tampering fiasco, Michael Clark tweeted, what have I woken up to? There's far worse things in the world than all that, but you know what? It's like, um, if only this was just a bad dream. I imagine that Mary Magdalene and the disciples felt something similar as they woke up on Sunday the 9th of April, AD 30. Jesus' betrayal and Jesus' trial and Jesus' crucifixion felt like a bad dream. Maybe just if we kind of rub our eyes, you know, we'll wake, we'll wake up and Jesus will still be alive. Like so many of us down the ages, they, they had invested so much hope in this one leader. But they'd woken up to find all their hopes evaporated. Jesus really was dead. The dream was over. You know, Mary went to the tomb with spices that day because she was going to finish the embalming of Jesus' cold body. But when she saw the stone moved, um, her natural assumption was actually just that Jesus' body had been stolen. Um, We're going to have a look at the text now. So why don't you grab a Bible, and we're on uh, page 906 here. Uh, You can find it on your phone if your Bible's on your phone. But John chapter 20 and verse 1. Now on the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John who's written this biography of Jesus, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. Now it's fascinating because Jesus had predicted that he would rise. He told the disciples on more than one occasion and Like verse 9 says later, the scriptures, the Old Testament, had said enough about the Messiah coming back to life. But you notice, not even Jesus' own followers believe he's risen, when he has risen. They're like, just the natural assumption is someone's stolen the body. This is awful. Now I don't even get to say goodbye, thinks Mary. I mean, first century people were just as sceptical as 21st century people, about resurrections. Because actually, nobody naturally 
believes this. It's almost like there's something allergic in us to kind of believing in God at times, in his control over our lives, and there's this inability in us. Can I ask you a question? Do you think that you're objective? Do you think you're an objective person? When it comes to reading the Bible, or when you've been dragged along on Easter Sunday to church to hear about the resurrection, sometimes people say, look, you know, I, look, I'm an objective person and I've looked at the evidence and I just don't see it. But you know, don't you, that in all of us there's this deep layer of prejudice and a vested interest that part of us doesn't want it to be true. And as much as some of us might feel that, you know, Christians, they want it to be true, we've got to realise and just be honest enough to say many of us don't want this to be true. And so when we ask that question, you know, is Christianity true or not, all of us are biased against that. And that, you know what the catch is? You can't recuse yourself. You know when a judge in a case kind of is like, I'm too invested in this? We can't recuse ourselves. So what do you do? Well, even to be kind of vaguely fair-minded, you know, you know, at least one of the things you need to do is to doubt your doubts. As much as you might doubt Christianity. The things that make you doubt, doubt them. That we might be fair-minded. You see, none of Jesus' first disciples woke up that Sunday itching to believe. They're all natural sceptics. For John, it took the physical evidence that the tomb was empty. And for Mary, it, it took Jesus appearing to her and saying her name, Mary, it's me. And for Thomas, well, he wanted that tangible proof, the famous words, you know, unless I see Jesus' hands and put my finger in his hand and all the rest. And you know, it's interesting, John, who's written this, he believed it without seeing Jesus yet. All right, it's possible. And yet, John gets it. He gets it. That actually, most of us find this hard to believe, as wonderful as it might be. And so the rest of this chapter is wanting to show us that Jesus' resurrection is tangible and it is wonderful, and it is personal. And we're just going to think about those three in the rest of our time this morning. First of all, the resurrection of Jesus is a tangible hope. Come down now to verse 19 of John chapter 20, uh, almost on the end of page 906. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. It's Sunday night, the doors are locked, the disciples are afraid. They don't believe in an all-conquering risen Lord. But Jesus comes and stands amongst them and says, peace be with you. And that kind of sounds pleasantly reassuring, but I think I'd still be freaked out if the crucified guy is eyeballing me. But he says, peace be with you. And then Jesus gives them tangible proof that they're not having a hallucination. He's not an apparition. Here are my hands and my side that you can physically touch. In fact, verse 19 makes it sound like the disciples only believed when they saw Jesus' scars. That's when they were glad and believed. But of course, Thomas... 
who's poor guy, got the name Doubting Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. Maybe he'd gone for a Sunday night run to kind of clear his head or it was his turn to get pizza or I don't know. I'm glad he was out actually because he voices some of the doubts that many of us have had down the ages. He wouldn't believe even his 10 best friends, all swearing about the same event. Why? Well, maybe because resurrections are hard to believe and maybe because he'd almost, Thomas was kind of on a journey of belief and he'd almost come to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. He was still working out the night before Jesus died and a suffering Messiah just doesn't compute. What sort of king suffers? No. And maybe, maybe for Thomas, it was that right when he was starting to kind of trust Jesus, he'd been, well, Jesus had been crucified and Thomas had been burnt, humiliated. I mean, Thomas had given up his livelihood for Jesus. His friends had probably said, you're crazy to go with this Jesus guy. And now he'd been humiliated. It had all come down crashing like a bad dream. So he says, you want me to believe? Give me something I can touch. Let's have a look at verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. We're never told if Thomas took Jesus up on the offer finger in the hand. I suspect not. I think Jesus appearing in the flesh and Jesus repeating the words that Thomas had spoken in private when Jesus wasn't around was enough to convince him. Enough that one of the greatest skeptics in the New Testament utters one of the greatest statements of belief, my Lord and my God. My God. He would only believe with tangible evidence and the point is there was tangible evidence. Do you believe in the existence of black swans? Do you know, I was was, uh, reading uh, the headline of a National Geographic, you know, the kind of scientific um, uh, article, and it said, the headline was, in medieval Europe, um, believing in unicorns had more credibility than black swans. Right? From a scientist. Um, Until Black swans were discovered in Australia. And now we talk about black swan events. And they talk, you know, a black swan event is this kind of thing that you're, um, is so unexpected, right? And all, almost that we're biased against, like the resurrection. See, what evidence would you need? What evidence would you need to convince you that Jesus really was the Son of God risen from the dead. Because whatever it is for you, you can reasonably conclude that those first disciples wanted evidence too. And it was only when they found it 
that they came to believe. And maybe, just maybe, the evidence that convinced them would convince you as well, if you were open to it. But at this point, the skeptic in me says, well, that's kind of nice for them, like they got to see Jesus, but, you know, what about me? It isn't fair. Where's my evidence? But friends, you need to know there is still tangible evidence that historically, the tomb was empty. It's pretty hard to argue against it. Historically, people claim to see Jesus alive. Whether you believe them or not, that's a historical fact. Historically, Christianity transformed the ancient world within three centuries. And the fact that you are here 2,000 years later on the other side of the world is tangible evidence that something significant happened that really did change the world. Or you wouldn't be here. We heard on that video people, some, uh, some of our friends here talking about the tangible hope and comfort and confidence that Jesus and his resurrection gives them. Plus John, who wrote, wrote, he wrote what he witnessed here in the gospel because he knew what every TV law show knows. You've got to get an eyewitness to testify. Right? You know, this case, we're not going to make it until we get an eyewitness. And so John's saying, you know what? Here's some eyewitness evidence. Enough for you to believe. The resurrection, it's tangible. There's enough evidence to consider. But the second thing that we need to know today about the resurrection is that it is wonderful. It's wonderful. You know, twice Jesus appears to his disciples here, but three times he assures them, peace be with you. And they were kind of locked up in that room, but kind of locked up in their own fear and anxiety. But here's Jesus, risen from the dead, giving them hope, peace, peace be with you. Shalom, uh, the Old Testament kind of greeting that means well-being or, you know, um, may you have life as it's meant to be in God's world. Except that you and I know that life isn't how it's meant to be in this world. And the life of God's Messiah just got ended. But see, the point is, Jesus is risen. And now there is life, how it's meant to be. And death is defeated and God's kingdom will come. But what gets me the most here is just how wonderful Jesus is to Thomas. Jesus could have come and said, Thomas, you're off the team. You obviously, you know, you're not 100% pumped, so you're gone. Jesus could have come and said, peace be with you, except you, Thomas, doubting scum. But he doesn't, does he? He's come back. To show, to prove, to reassure. And you know, here's um, the resurrection of Jesus assures us that Jesus has peace and grace and forgiveness for people who don't deserve it. Jesus is gracious with a doubter like Thomas. And Jesus has a future for a failure like Peter. We're going to look at that next Sunday. Jesus, he offers forgiveness to guilty cricketers. And you know what? They don't have to earn it back because Jesus has paid for forgiveness already. And Jesus even has forgiveness for for people who are more obsessed with cricket than 
domestic violence, or the children suffering in Nauru, and all the rest. Because you know, Steve's crime was just to let wrong happen in front of him. And we're all guilty of that. And here's the resurrection assuring us that there really is forgiveness. Now, in a moment, we're going to celebrate um, the Lord's Supper and we're going to have some bread and some juice as a symbol of Jesus' body and blood. And sometimes I'm like, oh, we meant to do that on Good Friday, you know, the body and blood. But we're, we're doing it on Easter Sunday, like most churches, actually. But the reason why we should do it today is because it's the fact Jesus rose that makes his peace and his forgiveness real and certain and assured. The resurrection is, is like the receipt that says paid in full. And if Jesus isn't risen, then the little bit of bread coming around is just a really stingy you know, bit of bread this morning. But if Jesus is risen, then that bit of bread and that juice is a token that you really are forgiven if you've thrown yourself on the mercy of Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus is wonderful because it is God's peace for people who don't deserve it. And finally, the resurrection of Jesus is personal. Let's read from verse 27. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Thomas responded to the tangible and wonderful reality of Jesus personally. Did you notice? Not just Lord and God, but my Lord, my God. Now, Christianity is more than an idea. It is more than a set of doctrines. It is more than a code of Christian values. Christianity is much better. It's a, it's a person. It is a living relationship with a real person because Jesus really is alive today. At its heart, it is a life-changing relationship with the living Lord of the universe, Life-changing because, um, you know what? Jesus is going to give you life when you deserve death, if only you'll trust him. But also life-changing because Jesus is now your Lord, your Master, your God. And you know what? That's going to shake things up. You know, any real relationship will change you, right? I mean, in, in any real relationship... You have to let the other person disagree with you and contradict you and challenge you and change you or it's just, they're just like a robot. And especially a real relationship with the living God of the universe, it has to change you. And see, so it might be that, you know, you sit here thinking, look, I'm just not sure I can accept some of Jesus' teachings. But the issue isn't about whether or not you accept some of Jesus' teachings. The issue is, did he rise from the dead? If he rose from the dead, you've got to accept everything. If he didn't, why would you bother with anything? See, 
It's all about the resurrection of Jesus. You know, when Thomas doubted, Jesus is gracious, but he does still challenge Thomas. And Jesus says, you know what? It is reasonable to believe when you hear eyewitness testimony of those who saw. John, kind of uh, in those last verses we read, it's almost like he's writing and then he kind of looks up to kind of talk to us and he says... I had stacks of material, I haven't included it all, but what I have written is enough tangible evidence for you to believe that Jesus really is the Messiah and the Son of God and the Lord of the universe. There is enough here to make Christianity personal, for you to respond today by saying to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And the promise is, when you do, you have life in his name. In fact, the reason the resurrection of Jesus is so wonderful is that it actually is life-changing. Jesus wants to give you life, life to the full and life forever. And friends, that is like waking up from the best dream and realizing that Jesus really is alive and it's all true. Let's pray. Oh Lord Jesus, as we look on 2,000 years later, many of us have our doubts. And we thank you that in your own scriptures that we meet those who struggled, those who needed to be convinced. But Father, Father, we thank you that we see the way they were. And Father, today I pray for those of us who may be wrestling with these questions that you would so cause them to seek out their doubts and to investigate Jesus. For the rest of us who've been won over, we would just say that Jesus, you are our Lord and you are our God. And we pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about St. Luke's Anglican Church, please visit www.clovelly.org.au.